Well, my name is Lauren, for those of you I haven't met before. And uh, this morning I get the privilege of, uh, of bringing the message to you. And we're focusing on, uh, on World Sunday. Now this is a new kind of portfolio that I've been given only in recent months. And uh, it's with great excitement though that I get to come and speak to you this morning. I feel like it's one of those things that's been bubbling away in my heart for a long time. And uh, leading us as a people, as a gathering of believers through that space is new. But I'm excited to be able to share some of my heart with you this morning. And uh, in the hope that God would really begin a work in us, that we would be able to see um, his fruit be born. You know, my heart when we think of world is that we think of this idea of, of, of having a global impact. We want to reflect God's heart for people for the poor and for the oppressed, by bringing his wholeness to the earth through the work of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that it's through our words and our deeds that that happens. God isn't a faraway God like a magician that kind of, you know, weaves his magic web and with a flash of a wand produces things. He chooses us. He chooses to use us to see those things come to fruition. So when we're talking about the world, we're talking about the globe the earth as a whole, we have to ask ourselves what our part is to play in that. You know, our desire to help overseas must come from more than a desire to do good. It must be more than about ticking the box and making us feel good that we've somehow shared with those less fortunate than us. It's got to be more than a platitude that just keeps us on the right side of where we think we're meant to be. And, you know, often it can be our definition of poverty that, uh, that can be challenges how we spend our time, how we spend our resource, and how we spend our money. And I'm not sure if you've ever asked yourself that question before, what is poverty? But it's a really good question to ask yourself because you don't realise sometimes what you think about these things until you actually reflect. But there's a really great book called When Helping Hurts and uh, it's a couple of Christian uh, authors who have, who have studied uh, third world developing countries for a long time. And I've realised through that study that sometimes well-meaning, good-intending help from the church and other organisations actually can do more damage than good. So it's really important that we have our minds and wits about us as we think through this. And one thing they talk about in their book, and I'm going to just go through quickly now, is uh, the idea of what is poverty. And there's a table that's going to come up on the screen. And the authors say that if you believe the primary cause of poverty is a lack of knowledge then you're going to put most of your efforts into educating the poor. If you believe that poverty is caused by oppression from powerful people, then you're going to work hard for social justice. If you believe it's the personal sins of the poor that have caused the poverty, then you're going to evangelise and disciple the poor. And if you think that it's a lack of material resource that's causing poverty, then you're going to give material resources to the poor. And now can you see how in each of those things, they're all good things? None of those things is actually bad. But if you focus only on one of those things, there's a whole area of a community's life that you're missing. So there's a challenge there for us to really think hard about what it is that we're doing. And, you know, we need to view ourselves and other communities abroad with a holistic view. Not just the individuals, not just the families, not just the churches, but the community as a whole and how we're in connected with those things. You know, further on in the book, it goes on to say that poverty is not just a lack of material things. It's rooted in broken relationships with God, with self, with others, and the rest of creation. And doesn't that ring true even in our lives? Wouldn't you agree with that definition of poverty? 
Because we may not be lacking in some material things, but we see a great spiritual poverty around us. There's a great deal of poverty around us that we're often blind to. So it's really important, and I would encourage you on your own to really reflect upon your idea of poverty and where you think that comes from and how you think that needs to be engaged with. Because I really do think it actually begins to shift some of your thinking and you realise it's not that we have it all and they have none. You begin to realise that we're actually all in a state of poverty and that it's actually not that far removed from our existence. If we're going to reflect God's heart globally, we need to do more than make ourselves feel good by giving money to those in need. We need to see this as an area of discipleship. It's an opportunity as God works in us, as we become awakened to his, uh, to his work in our hearts, his redemptive plan for humanity that we become a part of. So where do we start? The starting point, surprisingly, is actually not in our giving but it's in our hearts. That's where it needs to start. As I've said, if the starting point is doing the right thing, then we aren't seeing the picture God is asking us to be a part of. We're not seeing the redemptive nature of what God is asking us to engage in. And because really, if the starting point is in our hearts, then it reflects even out to our community first, doesn't it? And then it reflects like a ripple effect that goes further globally. It's not that somehow we have this area over here where we do international stuff that is different than what we're doing here in our own community. It's actually an extension of what we're already doing, extension of what we already believe. And, you know, we have a challenge when it starts in our hearts because we sit here as a predominantly white, middle-class congregation. If you look around, that's what you see. And that poses a challenge to us, a big challenge. Because in the midst of that comfort in the midst of sometimes the security that we can have, we can begin to have a skewed view of what it is God's asking us to do. The messages we, we receive all around us tell us to be comfortable, to tell us that bigger is better, that we need security at all costs, and yet so often we can do that without needing to include God in the picture at all. And then we come from this place almost of arrogance that says, look at us, we have it all, let me share some with you not realising that even in our wealth and in our, uh, in our comfort, we may not be placing that in the very heart of God. Our faith and security might not actually be coming in Christ. It's almost like we've taken him on board and used all these good ideas and then just gone and run with it ourselves. I don't know if you remember the movie The Matrix years ago, the idea of the blue pill and the, the red pill. And it was this movie that through, just unlocked the idea, I suppose, that what if the world that we exist in and that we operate in is actually not real, not reality? What if it's actually a bit of a, 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 a make-believe and there's actually a real alternative to that, which is probably a lot more dark and a lot more dirty and a lot more gritty? What if that's reality? And it was just fascinating at the time to see someone put into a movie this idea that we experience often as Christians, that as when we come to faith, we come to Christ, all of a sudden the world looks different than it did before, doesn't it? It should. Often we come and we, we thought things were okay, we felt like we were comfortable and things were going to be okay, and then we start to see things through God's eyes and there seems to be a bit more of a disconnect. You know, I remember I was only 15 when I came to Christ and I remember very much having that experience. Didn't quite realise that my world was as broken as it was. Others clearly knew that. And I remember friends, mums and things talking to me about my kind of family situation in kind of a bit of wonder. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't know what they're on about. Like, I don't get what's wrong with my family. Until I became a Christian, then I realised there actually was a lot of, uh, of dysfunction in my own life that I hadn't seen. And it was a funny experience to come to Christ, to feel whole in Christ and yet feel more broken, more undone and be falling more apart. 
That was my experience. The first few years of Christianity for me was actually more about coming to terms with the reality of what I saw than actually being whisked off into some bubble where everything was going to be okay and no longer was anything wrong. And that should be our experience. We shouldn't be put off by that. But often we are. Because the messages all around us are still telling us to grapple for comfort. They're still telling us that our house isn't good enough, that it needs to be better and, and, and renovated at constant rates. And often what happens is we spend more time caring about how our house looks than actually caring about opening the doors and inviting others in. Wouldn't you agree? We spend more time making sure that we've, uh, we've got the right outfit for the occasion or that we're looking how we're meant to look than actually thinking about our hearts and the state they're in. And when it comes to this idea of having a global impact of thinking beyond ourselves, it's got to start there in our hearts. Our picture has to come from a transformation that God is doing within us. You know, distraction from reality, numbing ourselves to reality or avoiding reality are no longer options if you sit here as a follower of Christ. It's not going to cut it anymore because Christ is calling us to engage with humanity as it is. The real question is, is whether our picture of God is going to grow at the same time. Whether our brokenness and the understanding we have of, of, of humanity is going to draw us down into a depression or whether we're actually going to allow God to enlarge our view of him and let Christ fill the gap. Does that make sense? There's this idea of, of, of the, you know, our, our expanding view of the cross. As we grow and develop, we must grow in a, a deeper and broader understanding because we need Christ to fill that gap. We need Christ to be that space where we see the, the, the kind of the, the challenge that we're facing. We see the violence around the world and we see the, uh, the brokenness all around us. And rather than being pulled down to a pit of despair, we can marvel in God's mystery and we can remind ourselves of the story that he's telling through us. But we must first acknowledge that our context is broken. We must first acknowledge that the world we live isn't as it should be. We can't turn our head to those realities. You know, the world woke up, you know, a few weeks ago when it came to the Paris attacks, that reality and of, of the gruesomeness and the, the, I think the, the attack on Western life was what grappled us, right? But there's story upon story day after day around the world of similar things happening that we never hear about. We don't get told those because it's not as threatening to our Western way of life, but it's just as important. And as followers of Christ, we need to be willing to enter those things and sit with the discomfort of not knowing what to do. Sit with the reality that we don't have the answers. Sit with the reality that peace looks far off because it's in those spaces in despair that we actually come to God and we find him in a very real and powerful way. And if we're going to have any impact as a church in a global scale, it needs to start there with an understanding and a reality of the world around us and the context in which we live. So the question is, how do we think beyond ourselves? How do we think beyond our families? How do we think in a way that's inclusive and that is transformational for those that we come to term, that we come in contact with? And there poses us an invitation from God. You know, the challenge of leading us as a church through this global space, as I said, is probably is new to me. I've never had to think on a larger scale. But this morning, I thought I'd just encourage you with a couple of scriptures that have encouraged me along my journey of beginning to understand some of uh, what God is asking me to engage with. And the tension that comes that I still find myself here in this middle class safe environment. 
to start with, I used to just think that God must be wanting to call me out, surely. Because I just had, you know, I, I'd hear people say like, you know, they'd be talking about overseas things and they'd be like, oh, gosh, be careful because God might send you overseas. I'm like, I want him to send me overseas. I literally would feel myself like, okay, I'm ready. Anytime now. But you know what? That's not been God's plan for my life. And uh, so it's been, my challenge has been more the opposite of going, well, hang on a second. How do I live from this space in this context? can feel very frustrating at times because it can, you can feel like your hands are tied behind your back. But it's amazing how God needs us to still be willing to accept the invitation and ask what it looks like in our lives. So the first verse I just want to encourage you with this morning is in Genesis. It's Genesis chapter 12. I'm just going to turn there now. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. And when I first heard this verse, I was at Bible college. And um, I can still picture the lecturer sharing this particular lecture that she shared. And if I'm honest with you, there's a lot about Bible college I don't remember. (laughs) But this particular lecture really hit home and uh, was obviously something God was doing in my life at the time. And she framed this lecture, we are blessed to be a blessing. And she proceeded to read from here. And it's God talking to Abraham saying, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. And that concept at the time, as I sat there as an 18-year-old, literally just floored me, that we are blessed to be a blessing. Because I'd struggled already with the idea of like, we have so much. I've been given so much and it doesn't feel okay just to be okay with that. And here as I heard this lecturer unpack this verse, I realised the idea that we're blessed to be a blessing. It's meant to pass through us. It doesn't stop with us. Our hands are meant to be open. And you know when God just reveals something to you? It's like the light bulb flicks on. And that's how I felt in that lecture. The, I just, and it floored me that God would bless me to be a blessing. And that went so much broader for me than financial blessing. That was so much bigger. You know, as I looked around and saw the, the wonderful friendships I'd gained, you know, the wonderful church I was a part of, I realised I had been given so much. You know, this very opportunity to meet as we do right now should never be taken for granted. God has blessed us with this moment. And what are we going to do with that? How are we going to allow this blessing to be a blessing for others? It's a really wonderful question to wrestle with. It affects our time, how we spend it. It affects our friendships and how we view them. It affects our money and how we spend it. And it's important to realise that, you know what, the, the, the natural tendency of our own nature is actually not to be blessed to be a blessing. Our natural tendency is to be blessed to make me look good. It's to be blessed to allow me more comfort. It's to be blessed to serve my needs. It's a very selfish, natural focus, right? And we've all got that. But what we want as Christ transforms us, what he's inviting us to is an understanding of the reality that I've blessed you to be a blessing to allow it to flow, that it should be cyclical in nature. He blesses us, we bless others. He blesses us, we bless others. He blesses us, we bless others. And that can be really hard sometimes. It's great in the good seasons where you feel like, look at all that I've got and look what I can give. But you know what? This verse is true no matter how much you have or how little you have, how much time you have or seemingly how time poor you might feel. You know, I had a massive win on the, on, um, during the week as uh, on Tuesday I um, had heard the news that one of my closest girlfriends had a daughter who was very sick and, um, and very sick in hospital, nearly at ICU. So all I wanted to do that day was make her a meal because I'm like, you know what, this is one of my closest friends. We've travelled together in life for a long time. 
And then as I looked at my day and the reality of now working full time, which is still new for me, I thought, how on earth am I going to do this? How on earth am I going to do this? But I just could not let it go because I thought, no, this is not optional. I am not not getting her a meal today. And I thought, but I also have family to take care of. I have my own meal to make. And you can imagine what the day looked like. It was by no means short. But I just trusted God and I just prayed. And I thought, you know what, Lord, I'm going to just trust that I know this is, you know, like this is a good thing to do. I'm going to trust that it can work out. Felt really excited when it got to about lunchtime. And I realised, do you know what? Lisa, while she's been away, had um, lent me her slow cooker so I could have some fun with her slow cooker. And I thought, do you know what? I'm going home on my lunch break and I'm going to chuck that thing on and it's going to just do its thing for me, ready for when I get home. And it sounds silly, but that was such a win for me that day because I really did not want my day to get over the top of me and my desire to want to bless my friends. So that was a small little win, but the idea that we're blessed to be a blessing. And do you know how satisfied I felt in God at the end of that day as I fell into bed and thought, yes. I got that meal around to them. And you know what? They desperately needed it. They desperately needed it. And so I just felt really excited that somehow I hadn't allowed the challenge of my day and the, you know, the concerns of my family, which still needed to be met. I wasn't about to say, well, my family's now not going to have dinner because I've given it all here. Although he did ask that when I dropped it off. <laughs> Are you on toast and bread tonight? It's like, actually, no, but thankfully. So the challenge is that we would be blessed to be a blessing, that we wouldn't allow the messages of, of life, the busyness of life to crowd that out. It's a creative question, isn't it? It's a problem-solving question. It's not a black and white one. It's not about doing nothing so you've got all the time in the world. It's not about um, it doesn't look the same for you as it will look for me. It's a question that you need to wrestle with yourself. The other verse that I want to challenge you or just encourage you with, I should say, this morning comes in Micah. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And I found this verse in the Bible... I'm sure I had read it before, but it was at a time in my life where I was really grappling with purpose. I'd found myself at home um, in the midst of little children and, uh, and just the complexities of, of a busy family life. And, you know, I, there's times where I found that a little bit suffocating, just that reality of just you feel like you're not even able to think for yourself because before you even have the chance to have a thought, there's just something else that presents itself to be done, some other nappy to be changed or some other mouth to be fed or another load of washing just miraculously appeared. And for me, that was a challenging season at various times as I really felt like, Lord, what have you called me to? Because I know I'm a mum and I know this is part of it, but I feel like there's more. And then I remember reading Micah um, chapter 6, verse 8, one morning in a devotion. And it says this, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And again, that verse just hit me between the eyes. As I felt myself falling into a bit of a self-pity, I was having a bit of a poor me day, you know, where I felt like everyone else is just doing amazing things and here's me at home not really understanding the amazing things I had been gifted with. Isn't it funny how when you're having those moments, you're blind to what actually you've been gifted. And so it came to me at a time where I was asking God, what can I do? What can I do? I feel like I'm not doing anything for you. And I love that he reminded me very, very impactfully through this verse, you know what I'm asking you to do? I'm asking you to walk justly. I'm asking you to love mercy and to walk humbly with me. And I realised in that moment there was an awful lot about that verse that had very little to do with doing sometimes. It was far more about a state of my heart and about being willing to act on his behalf, being willing to be an advocate for those that might need it. And it started to just transform some of my thinking as I sat frustrated, um, not feeling like, you know, I, I wanted something written in the sky, 
here is your dun, 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 of what you're meant to do. And I love that God brought it back to my heart. And I feel like that's a, a lesson and constantly one he brings me back to. You know what I've been amazed at ever since that, though, is the numerous verses in the Bible that talk about justice, mercy, the poor, the oppressed, numerous, numerous verses. And I began to realise as God gave me a window even to that verse that actually there's a whole layer of God's heart here that at some level I had missed. I had been enjoying very much the idea of, of fellowship and my own personal journey with Christ and I, I very much felt alive and in my relationship with him. But then he began to just show me that his heart was beating for the poor, for the oppressed. And my job was to work out a translation of those things even in our society, to work out what does that look like here and then to work out how do I engage in that in a larger context. So those two verses are verses that have just encouraged me along the way. And I give them to you this morning as a way of just taking them, take them home, meditate on them, and do your own research around this. Have a look and see what God's heart is for the poor and the oppressed in the Bible. You know, I was listening recently to a podcast, and the, uh, a line that stood out to me was the, uh, the preacher said, you know, when we preach the Bible without living it, we prove to the world that it isn't true. And I hadn't thought of that before, but when it comes to this idea of, of walking with justice and mercy, that's very much how it can be. It's great to have concepts and ideas, but when we don't actually live those things out, when we don't make those things a part of who we are, then we fall short. We prove to the world that actually the Bible is nothing more than just a self-help book. It's just for me, to make me feel better. It's not actually for humanity and the redemptive purposes of God. You know, recently I got to um, take a trip to camp, uh, to Indonesia through Compassion. And uh, they were taking a whole pile of uh, Churches of Christ pastors from WA. And we got to go to Jakarta and another city called Bandung and see the work that Compassion were doing. And it was really um, quite a blessing to be on that trip. And uh, we went from church to church because the way Compassion works is they, um, they work through the local church. So every time we'd rock up to a church where we knew it was a child development centre, there's no big sign that says Compassion anywhere. It's just the local church. And to be honest, if you weren't looking for the church, you'd probably miss it. But we got to go along and see these local churches at work. Now, they had partnered with Compassion to be able to put on really essentially a kids' program. The way it works is that these children would come after school to, to the local church. They would have to be signed up as part of the Compassion um, process. And they would be offered things like um, tutoring, things like singing, dancing classes. Um, they would have medical checks. Um, so a really holistic view of the child. And you know what was amazing? Each and every time we'd go to these churches, we're seeing the volunteers and how excited they were. There was rooms full of volunteers, local people. They were just a church like us, a lot of them. They were doing their thing. They were ministering for God. And yet the volunteers and the people were so excited by the opportunity they'd been given through Compassion to present this program to the kids. And you know, in their cultural context, where the children are very much kind of you know, a secondary thought, I suppose, the families in the area knew that if they wanted their child to be looked after, they wanted their child to have the best, that actually the church was the place to go. And it was wonderful to see how that transformed the community. Wonderful to see the impact that would have. And we got the privilege of speaking to some of these volunteers who had been compassion-sponsored children themselves. So, you know, years earlier, their parents had brought them to the local church and, uh, and it was wonderful to hear them so passionate about continuing on 
that for the lives of the children in their community. And, uh, you know, we heard story after story of now adult volunteer who had been a child sponsor themselves. And they were just glowing at the impact it had in their life. You know, one of them said that, that you know, they would come along to the, to the child development centre and they'd be asked, what do you want to do with your life? And they said, nobody was asking me that. Nobody was saying, what do you want to do? Everyone was just kind of doing their own thing and we were left to sort ourselves out. And then they had this child development centre come around and say, so you want to be a maths teacher? Well, let's look at your maths. How's your maths going? Your maths isn't doing too great. Well, let's tutor you in maths. You have other children that come along and say, I want to be a doctor. And so they look at their sciences and see how their sciences are going. They delivered a very specific program for the specific children. And what was amazing to see was here was an organisation, Compassion, partnering with the local church, who together had agreed that the poverty cycle needs to end, that we need to do something to end this cycle. But they realised they needed a holistic view of the child. It couldn't just be one area. But you know what, through that process, the countless stories we heard of testimonies of people that have come to know Christ was amazing. And they were very real heartfelt testimonies because when you come and you see a child being valued and when you are that child, there was no question in their mind that it had come from the church. You know, we had the privilege of going out to, um, to, to some home visits. They organise um, through the Child Development Centre. If there's a family in particular that needs a bit of encouragement, perhaps they um, are struggling, they you know, might be out of work or, or whether their children are struggling to attend the centre. So they, um, uh, we arranged to go and have a home visit with them because uh, obviously for us to go and visit in their home was quite an encouraging thing. So we'd go and meet with these families and you know, we'd sit in very tiny rooms and there was five or six of us so we would quite often fill the space. But they were so generous in sharing their stories with us so generous in just um, sharing some of their challenges and some of them had had car accidents which just meant they had um, rendered them not being able to work and some of the children were just really shy and didn't want to speak but you know it was amazing. In one home in particular where they really didn't have much and the family was out of work and um, we were able to pray with them and encourage them and they talked about just how important the church had been to get them through that stage and uh, one of them asked oh you know do you know who your sponsor who, who sponsors you? And, uh, and the parent answered with this name. They knew exactly the name of their American sponsor it was that had sponsored them. And she then proceeded to go to this bookshelf. And I thought, oh, they didn't have much in their house, so I didn't quite know what she was going to get. She pulls down this plastic bag, and it was just like a, like a vegetable, you know, the plastic bag you get to put your vegetables in? And, uh, and there she has all these letters that their sponsor, their sponsor had written them. And she pulls them out, pulls out the photos, and she's like, we read these all the time as a family was what the translation came, because they find encouragement to know that somebody notices them, that somebody sees them, that somebody wants to make a difference. So it was really humbling in, the, in, in that trip to see time and time again the different things that were at work. And at some level, to be honest, it made me look back to us and feel a little bit kind of like despondent, because I felt like God was just able to just do his thing. The, fir- the soil felt just rich to go. And then I looked back here and I thought, you know what? It's a much harder slog for us sometimes here. We have all these extra things. You know, we're not, we're not in dire straits like they might be, but our hearts are hard. You know, and the people that we're engaging with don't want to have a spiritual conversation. They don't even want to acknowledge that they, there's a spiritual element to their soul. And so it's funny too to realise that actually there's a lot we've got to learn from others. And the invitation God invites us to is actually one of humility, realising that there's a lot we have to learn from others, from other cultures. 
and to realise that despite different beliefs that we might have, we're actually for people, not against them. And it's a very distinctive choice that we have to make sometimes through this, uh, through this invitation. So where to from here? Let me do now a little bit of an overview of what, of what it is that we've done and what it is that we're going to do. And I wanted to, to do that at the end part, just realising that, you know what, I want this to be clear, that it begins with our hearts, it begins in you and me. It begins by accepting an invitation from God to be a part of his redemptive work. But there are some things we're going to do corporately, collectively together in the coming um, kind of year as we do that. One of the things that we have been doing, like I say, is um, been sponsoring Compassion as a church. We've been contributing towards a, um, a child survival program, it's called. It's now called Mums and Babies. And uh, there's a particular church out in a place called Malang in uh, Indonesia. And they have 30 uh, mums and babies who come to this program. And really what it is, is it's a combination of a child health nurse and a mops program, if you've ever been to mops. They kind of combine the two. And so the local mums who are pregnant, um, if they're, uh, they can be nominated to be sponsored by this program. And so what the church does is it provides education. It provides m medical support and there's a, there's a mentor um, for each mum in this program. And the mentor goes out to their home and, and, and basically educates them about how to raise their children, and especially in those new kind of postnatal stages. And so there's a, there's a church out in Malang that we already sponsor, and we'll continue that. And um, I wasn't able, unfortunately, to go visit them on my trip. Um, they were just a little bit too far from where we were. But the plan would be hopefully down the track that we'd also be able to build some relationship with this church as well. Um, I got to speak to the, uh, the person in Compassion who, who um, I can't think what they're called now, but they basically, their job for Compassion is they oversee the different church relationships and, uh, and he was going there next week so I was able to ask him all about that church and what happens and, uh, and he shared with me that sadly only weeks earlier one of the mums in that program um, had had a stillbirth um, but because of her connection with the program she was still able to um, have her medical needs and her support carried on even through that challenging time and he said in, in, that, in that community in particular that was very unusual. So I was just able to pray for that mum and just realise I'm hopeful that as time goes by we can hear some more information about what happens there and we can um, be encouraged by, um, by our sponsorship there. And, you know, this year we also were able to do, um, provide some disaster relief where it was needed. You would have, uh, if you remember, we were able to donate to Nepal, to the earthquake in Nepal and the cyclone in Vanuatu as well. And uh, disaster relief very much is a part of this as well because we all know there are times in all of our lives where unexpected things happen and as a community, as countries, when that happens, it takes the rest of us to then go, right, how can we pitch in? What can we do to help in this particular crisis situation? And so we will continue to do that um, as time goes by. And one of the, the couple of the newer things that we're looking to do is we've had a connection with South Sudan for some time. I mean, years gone by, that was quite a personal connection we had on the ground. Um, as, as South Sudan has kind of undergone some more conflict in recent times, it's been very difficult for us to actually put into practice some of the intentions and some of the hopes we've had for that. But um, Global Mission Partners, who are a Churches of Christ kind of missions uh, arm, if you like, of our denomination, of our movement, they have some, some ground uh, networks in, G um, in South Sudan. Sorry, So we're looking um, to make those connections a bit stronger and see how how we can actually impact um, that country as well, see what we can do, how we can partner with what's already going on there. We can partner with the contacts that they already have. And uh, so that will be an ongoing, unfolding thing that happens. And then also coming up in uh, next year, 
a new connection we've been able to make is, uh, is with East Timor. And uh, Ryan has had on his heart to, uh, to see if he could take a young adult trip to, a, to a, a place in East Timor to begin some kind of ongoing relationship there. Now, through, he's connected to World Vision and uh, Peter Barney is the church relationship manager there and he's been such a great help. And uh, one of the amazing things about East Timor at the moment is that currently there's a, uh, a situation where every dollar that gets uh, given in aid to East Timor is matched by, is it four or five, Ryan? Yeah, it's matched, the, the government promises to match it by four dollars over in East Timor. So every dollar we're able to give into that place, the government pledges to match with four extra does that seem ridiculous to you? That's amazing. So I realise there's quite an opportunity in this particular window of time for some work to be done. And again, World Vision already have some contacts on the ground there and they've been partnering with us. And uh, the first week of September, Ryan's going to actually be taking a, a group of young adults on a trip there to see some of that work. So, um, so it's going to be an exciting, exciting time to have them be able to come back and, uh, and also share with us what's going. And we're committing to that in a five-year process, a five-year connection, so that we're able to, over time, begin to see what happens there and begin to see what, what outworks there. So there's um, some sponsorship ideas that, that Ryan and Peter have come up with as well, ways we can uh, actually um, can bring some money together to, to, to build back into that community. And I know they're looking at the idea of a, a bit of a, of a fun run in the northern suburbs next year, hopefully, that we can use as a way of actually um, raising money to send through that as well. So that one's going to be an exciting uh, thing as it... As it, as it um, gains momentum I suppose and as the young adults come back excited um, he's only taking a team of about six or seven so it's only a small team but um, it's going to be great to hear what they've got to do so there's some of the things we're going to do collectively but you know what there's always things that you can do personally and I never want you to think that the only way you can be of impact to the world globally is through us here at church now we can obviously do a lot more together when we you know, we kind of combine our resources. And one of the wonderful things is that 5% of all our offerings here go towards our overseas work, our outside of our local context. So that will always happen. But I want to challenge you as well to look at your own life personally and the personal passions you might have. Now, some of you may not even realise that right now as we sit here, um, Pam Timms and Maxine Crute are over in India now, they, Pam and John have had a work in India for a long time and, uh, and part of what Pam and Maxine are doing right now is they take over some, some, some finances that they've been able to raise and they um, buy some sewing machines for the local ladies to teach them how to sew and to create an income for themselves. And now, sitting here today, not many of us know that, but that's a personal passion they've had, something that God's laid on their heart that they are doing and are doing that God is using through them. There's other people I know as I look out here, I know some of the things that you're passionate about and I know some of the, the projects you're a part of and the, the things you volunteer with. And it's really important that you ask God what it is that he might want you to be a part of, to educate yourself, to not just be fed the things that our media feed us as important in a global scale. There's a, so much more we can learn as we dig a bit deeper. And so I'd encourage you to make some personal decisions about how it is that God might want you to not just be impacting your local community, but in a global context as well. And then coming up even next week, you know, Ryan mentioned the idea that we're doing this offering at Christmas as a way of just uh, symbolising our hearts before God. And sometimes there is something in that physical act of giving that it's an expression of what God has done on the inside. And, you know, 30% of that offering, we're, again, we're putting to a context beyond our local context because we believe that as we think bigger than ourselves, that actually we're coming into line with God's heart. 
So pray about that. For some of you who's really struggled with giving, who really struggle to just be generous financially, that might be what God's asking you to do. That might be your next step right now. To have God come and say, challenge you and say, oh, how much would you be willing to let go of this Christmas? As a way of going, actually, there's something bigger than me happening here. There's something bigger than what I can just do on my own. So go and pray about that. So can I encourage you as time goes on, as we head into the new year, to continue to pray, and I, I will be praying that God will be working in our hearts. And one of the things I'm looking to do into next year is, um, is to look at having a monthly uh, prayer and focus night around our global impact. You know, and um, some more information about that will come out next year. But just to look at ways, how do we gather those who are particularly passionate about reaching, you know, kind of the borders beyond us? And uh, how do we inform ourselves as well? What are the issues that we need to be partnering with? What are some of the challenges we can be involved in? So coming into next year, I'll be making some more of that um, known and, and have some more form around that. But that's part of where we're looking to head as well, to engage you um, in that process. But can I just finish now? And the band can come up at that point. Reading to you from Isaiah. You know, as you read through the prophets in the Old Testament, it's very easy to see God's heart in very raw terms sometimes. And I think it's important for us to kind of go to those spaces if we're going to really ask ourselves what it is that God's wanting us to do. And so let me read to you out of Isaiah 58. It says, Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. And it's really important at this time that we remember. And we're going to take communion even as we do and the ushers can feel free to begin handing that out. That God is asking something of us. He is asking us to hear his heart. And he's asking us to step away sometimes from the comfort and the security that we find in things other than him. And so this morning as we take this time to take communion... You'll be given a cracker and you'll be given a juice. And it's an opportunity to come before your God, to come before your Saviour and thank Him, yes, for the victory that we have in Him, for the life and connection we are able to find in our Heavenly Father. But then I wonder this morning if you'd have the courage to then just pray another step beyond that and ask what it is that God might want to do in your heart, the transformation that He might want to be a part of so that others might be blessed through you so that more than just our local context would come to know his name, but that we could be a part of his kingdom work on this earth. So why don't you take a moment as communion is handed out 
Spend it with your God and pray thanking Jesus for what He's done.